Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. This week on the program, I bring you part two of a three-part special featuring Alok Vardmanon's keynote address at the Listen Conference. A few weeks ago on the program, I mentioned that I attended the Listen Feminist Conference in Melbourne in October. Listen exists to spark and cultivate a conversation from a feminist perspective around the experiences of marginalised people in Australian music. I told you that it was a conference that I thought was just going to be about music and the performing arts, but after three days I was completely reinvigorated by the potential of the performing arts to push a political agenda. One of the speeches that really blew me away was the one delivered by Alok Vaidmanon. Alok is a trans femme South Asian writer, performing artist and community organiser based in New York City. For the past seven years, they've organised in solidarity with racial, economic and gender justice movements worldwide. Over three episodes of Accent of Women, I'll broadcast Alok's keynote address at the conference, so make sure you don't miss any of it, and the podcast will be available from 3CR's website. What does my gender, or rather, what does your anxiety about my gender say about you? I should say here that part of my coping strategy for the constant scrutiny I have to endure every single day of my life for simply existing is that I've learned to intellectualize what were and continue to be a series of incredibly violent interactions. The reality of being a gender non-conforming person is that there is no respite or break from the constant harassment, scrutiny, and policing of every realm and dimension of our lives. Those of us who do not transition into safety, disappear ourselves into white cisgender norms, are constantly viewed as failed men or women and are victim blamed for all of the violence that we experience. Why did he slash she slash it have to be so visible? Why couldn't he slash she slash it try to fit in more? Why can't he slash she slash it just done that at home? Working through these interactions through art has given me a space for at least a few moments in my life to be allowed to be outside of my body. And I just want to take a moment to mourn that, how so many gender non-conforming people literally have to divorce ourselves from our bodies in order to survive. How dysphoria then is not some sort of psychological condition that we have, but rather something that is imposed and policed on us due to the constant regulation and commentary on every realm of our lives. But the medical establishment won't tell you that because this is how sinister things are. The very people who produce the conditions that assault every fabric of our existence are then the people who pathologize us for our natural responses of hurt, loneliness, and indignation, and then profit off of that, get called experts. There are so many questions that I have for the people who harass me. I want to take them out for hot chocolate, talk to them about their childhood trauma, ask them about the desires they might have been taught to repress, but unfortunately, due to a combination of both my fear and their hostility, I try to get away from the situation as soon as possible. The internet becomes one of the only places where I can really tease out, sit with, and explore this interaction. My body, their gaze. The internet has given me a platform to explore what people are thinking about when they see my image and what comes up for them. 
for better, okay, and mostly for worse, people feel less inhibited with reactions on the internet. It gives them an opportunity to embody a self, an expression, a response that they may not give in public. When I post photos of myself, what I'm trying to do is simulate a world where I could hand people that caption on the street, make people understand that gender non-conforming people are living, breathing, fucking free people. The majority of the comments I receive are often supportive and kind. Often they help me get, help give me the stamina and strength to keep going, and I'm grateful for that. But of course, I find myself more fascinated by the negative comments. They give me a language, a framework to begin to understand what what it is about gender nonconformity that so fundamentally unsettles people, many of whom call themselves feminists. They help me understand the crisis the cisgender community is going through, and it's a really drastic crisis, how they have lost their spiritual center and rely on putting down us to remember that they actually have a voice. What I want to do now is review with you some of the comments I've received on my photos online. I selected some of the more, well, let's just say, colorful examples to help express the meme mint we are in now. I want to thank these strangers for their honesty, for having the audacity to express what they actually think. It actually gives me something to work with. <laughs> is that not a dude? Hairy legs, flat chest, facial hair? I'm fine with whatever it slash they slash them wants to call it they themselves but it, they, them might find it beneficial toward the aim of being the opposite gender. So that really actually doesn't make sense, that last part of the sentence. Um, so that was like my first reaction. I was like, I, I think that there's also like a literacy, yeah, I don't know. So, um, so one of the first things that we notice, right, is that those of us who refuse to participate in gender literally get called it. And what I love about that is you're acknowledging that in order to be regarded as a subject or a human in this world, you have to be consensually, you have to participate in gender. And that those of us who actually are not interested in doing that because we have bigger priorities in our lives and better outfits to wear, um, actually <laughs> literally get reduced to the status of an object. So therefore, when we experience violence, we're not experiencing violence that can be understood as a human right, right? We're being understood violence that can only be understood by throwing a piece of trash in a trash can. We literally become an object, so therefore we're not allowed to have emotional complexity. Then, we're constantly reduced to our bodies, hairy legs, flat chest, facial hair. That's a lot of pressure for cisgender women if they have to not have hairy legs, if they have to have size D tits, and if they grow one inch, or one tiny mustache, then that disqualifies them from their entire womanhood. But what we see continually is that gender is conflated with our bodies, and what we lose there is that it was only until colonial contact that gender became defined as an embodied practice with absence of genitalia or not. Prior to that, in indigenous traditions across time, and still today, gender was understood more as a social role in our communities versus what we looked like physically. And then once again, gender in this statement is understood as something that I call myself, not who I am. And this way, cisgender people position us as just a costume or a parody or a prop. The continual goal becomes me wanting to have the aim of being the opposite gender, not trying to liberate myself from gender itself. Next comment. Holy shit, you look like a poor drag queen just got hit by a garbage truck. Drag queen, as if I'm trying to emulate something that I'm not. The truth is, I think it's actually deeply problematic that trans people have to distance ourselves from drag because I think for many of us, drag, and especially as people of color, is one of the only spaces that we're given permission to actually explore ourselves. And I actually have a lot of fun getting in drag as well, and I don't see that that disqualifies my, my fem femininity. But I think what I really loved about this statement, thank you so much, anonymous commenter, is that what you're essentially saying is that those of us who are not interested in pursuing medical trans 
transition are actually disposable, actually getting hit by a garbage truck. You can't kind of make that more explicit, right? So that we've created this new paradigm now where we're actually increasing violence against gender nonconforming people because now not only are we failing to be cisgender, we are failing to be transgender because the only model you have of transition are people who are interested in assimilating into white cisgender womanhood and medicalizing their transition. And that though the rest of us essentially how dare we exist in the street as visibly gender nonconforming? And what the assumption there is to exist on the street as a gender nonconforming trans feminine person is to be murdered, right? Like that's literally the only insinuation there that we have no frame of reference for a gender nonconforming person who is not experiencing violence. And what I realized in my life is that I had no frame of reference to understand my gender outside of people calling me a faggot, a tranny, a terrorist, a bitch, a piece of shit, a piece of trash, someone who deserves to be raped, killed, or burned. The next comment. Sorry, but not. I'd beat your ass if you came up on me. So this was just commented on just a photo of me, just standing, standing on the street. And some man, I think, I don't want to see misgender, um, commented, sorry, but not. I would just beat your ass if you came up on me. So what this actually shows is that trans people, and especially those of us who are trans feminine, actually only belong to cisgender men's nightmares and fantasies interchangeably. That our genders actually don't belong to us, they are only understood as sexual perversions, always oriented around desire for cisgender men, and that actually our very existence is an invitation to be raped. And that our very existence basically creates a victim-blaming logic where we can actually not have consent, because by actually presenting as gender nonconforming, we've consented to our being a threat to everyone. And this is what recurrently happens when we experience gender and sexual-based violence. We get blamed for it because the expectation there becomes that the only reason that we're presenting as gender nonconforming in public is because we're going to signify that we're actually queer and interested in sleeping with men on the street. Not that we can have our own relationship and ownership of our femininity. But I think it's very interesting that cisgender feminism will stop at its analysis of street harassment to say cisgender women should not be raped for wearing dresses, but not talk about how even without a dress, gender nonconforming people are already structurally seen as, as uh, asking for it. Next comment. Glad you are happy regardless of who you are. Thumbs up. The outfit is badly matched. Stripes with stripes. Perhaps, perhaps that is why people harass you. Ask some of your female friends to help with your selections. P.S. Love the boots. Have a blessed day. So, I really love this one because this is one that we don't often talk about. The current in vogue moment in trans discourse is that we, as the tragic trans subject, have to thank cisgender women so much for inviting us to the table that we actually built for them. I'm not interested in being a part of your feminism, actually, because your feminism has always relied on a colonial equation that womanhood is only linked to your vaginas and to your reproductive faculty, whereas my feminism has understood that femininity is under attack in a, anti, in a misogynist world where any expression of an intelligence, of an artistry, of a creativity that centers femininity is devalued, disposed, and criminalized. So what's interesting to me in this moment is that um, a, a, an alleged cisgender woman who is like caring about me for some reason um, thinks that the reason that I get attacked is because I don't know how to match my clothing, um, which I think is actually might be easy to dismiss, but I want you to understand here that what essentially she's doing is you are failing to look like a white pretty cis girl. So therefore for you deserve to be attacked. <laughs> and what she's also saying is your white cis female saviors can help you dress appropriately 
so that you can actually stop being attacked, right? So what she's actually trying to, to really allow, I mean, thank you so much, what she's really trying to show us is that the only possibility of trans existence is that we need to emulate the aesthetics, the politics, and the identity of white cisgender women, which I think is so dehistoricized because actually white cis women's entire conception of their femininity and their feminism came from us. The truth is the only reason that femininity was worth something fighting for, let alone making aesthetic out of it, was because we had to fight like hell from it from the minute that we were born. You decided to become a feminist. I couldn't tell the difference between saying I was not a man and being a feminist, that actually my body was my first side of protest and I've been rioting ever since, and that actually every single day I walk out on the street, I'm already marching. That's why I did not attend your slut walk rally. I was already marching. Next comment. It's amazing that the new feminism is quite literally a man in a dress telling women he suffers more than they do. You folks are a parody. Six likes. Let's say that one again. It's amazing that the new feminism is quite literally a man in a dress telling women he suffers more than they do. You folks are a parody. Six likes. Why, thank you so much. Yes, the new feminism is actually uh, a man in a dress telling women that he suffers more than they do. Thank you. Um, and the truth is, what we reoccurringly see is this fear and anxiety around this object of the man in the dress, right? And so as trans people, we are asked constantly to perform a type of respectability politics where we say, I'm not a man in a dress, I'm not a drag queen, I'm not a gay man, as in, save me because I'm just a cisgender woman, as if the only way that we can get respect and safety is by making claims to the innocence of white cisgender women. Why is that a look? Let's take a little history lesson. When settler colonialism began to expand across the world through the British Empire, one of the first things that initial colonists wrote about upon their point of contact was, why are these men wearing dresses? What they did is look at the indigenous gender systems of people who were outside of a backwards Western colonial Christian framework and demonized them as terrorists, essentially, for doing something as basic as practicing a culturally specific way of, of adorning and creating in community. Often the first people who experienced settler violence were trans feminine gender nonconforming people or what we would call them now right and that it was not just a motivation of gender but a mo motivation of wanting to civilize people into the modern gender binary right because what colonization was and continues to be is the forced assimilation of indigenous people black people people of color migrant people into white gender and Christian norms right so when this person is saying the new feminism it's really interesting because it creates this timeline arc where actually what was very much the old feminism <laughs> what was very much what indigenous people were practicing as a way to unsettle a type of heteropatriarchy now is considered new. That's really wrong. Um, and then tells that he suffers more than they do. Actually, I'm here to let you know, cisgender women, a lot of men in dresses do suffer more than you do, and you need to grapple with that. That actually, you actually have privilege on the basis of your femininity and your desirability by a heteropatriarchal state. That actually, street harassment for many of us gender nonconforming people does not look like, hey, sexy, or hey, mommy. Not that those are things that I'm interested because I understand that they're still rooted in sexism. But I want to let you know that I've never had anyone in my life hit on me on the street. I've only had people tell me that I should die, that I should burn in hell, that I should rot, that I'm disgusting, that I deserve to be killed, that I should be raped. I've never had anyone say, you look beautiful. So when cisgender women complain about being called beautiful on the street, I want to remind you that there's a difference between desire and disgust, and a lot of it has to do with life and death. So what I want to also get to a point of talking about femininity is, it's not that white cisgender women have structural gender power. What I'm trying to get at is white cisgender women have a place within a gender colonial system that trans feminine people of color like me never will unless we emulate the dominant values. So those are some comments. Thanks for the comments. And
and on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. This is part two of a three-part special of Alok Vaidmanon's keynote address at the Listen Conference. If you miss any parts of the broadcast, you can access the podcast from 3CR's website and I'll give you those details at the end of the show. It gets exhausting to continually have to argue for the legitimacy of your existence. How are you supposed to be recognized for your ideas when they don't even believe you about your body? It gets exhausting when the only reason that you're invited in the room is to be stared at. It gets lonely when you're always the only one. So eventually the impulse becomes to make a plea for accommodation. Accept me, recognize me, love me, make me visible. And this is where I hesitate. I hesitate because it seems like we're in a moment where we insist that visibility is the same thing as justice. But why should we have to make ourselves visible to the very people who oppress us to begin with anyway? Whose standards of visibility must we emulate? Why should we have to prove who we already were? The truth is, I am not actually gender nonconforming. You only see me as such because you're filtering my experiences through the white colonial gender binary. Gender nonconformity and transness itself is a fiction created by white cisgender culture to recreate itself. This is what we are not. You harassing us becomes a way of performing the fact of who you are. Media helps uphold this myth that gender is real. The truth is, we deserve a movement, not a meme-ment. I'm not a man or a woman. The truth is, I don't have a gender. The truth is, I shouldn't have had to wear women's clothing, put on makeup, change my pronouns in order for you to believe and respect the violence that I experience. The truth is, I shouldn't have to take a photograph for you to see me. The truth is, none of us should have to change who we are in order to be believed. The truth is, I shouldn't have to tell my family that my gender is, a, is not a performance. So what if it is? That doesn't make me any less real than you. Why should we have to destroy the darkest, the most feminine, the most sensitive parts of ourselves in order to be taken seriously? Why must we have to look like white cisgender people in order to be believed? Why should I have to change the way I look in order to exist? Why should I have to make you feel comfortable about my appearance to ensure that you do not attack me? Gender is not what we look like, it is who we are. You are not what you look like, you are who you are. We are far too vast and incredible to be reduced to our bodies and our appearances. I get it. I want so badly to be recognized. My entire life I've grown up feeling erased, but visibility is a double-edged sword. I shouldn't have to compromise myself, I mean apologize for my existence, in order to receive something so simple as acknowledgement. I shouldn't have to put myself at risk of daily violence for something so basic as recognition. You tell trans people to be visible, but you do not protect or fight for us when we make ourselves visible to you. The days when I am most visible are the days I fear for my life the most. We try so hard to be seen, but when we are, it is only the parts of us that are palatable that are regarded. They put us up as props next to their portraits. The difference between a prop and a portrait is a matter of subjectivity. We are still objects that they collect like trophies to include in their view books and their marketing, but never in their compassion, their intellect, their paradigm. Coherence requires compromise. Compromise requires assimilation. Assimilation requires erasure. Erasure requires no longer being able to tell the difference between who you are and who they say that you should be. People often ask me how I came to be an artist. They expect me to tell them about some formal training, but the truth is, growing up in this world as a gender nonconforming person means that you have to have a certain degree of artistry to survive. You have to find a way to fashion a self out of nothing. You have to be creative and adaptable with words and symbols that were never meant for you. But what I learned is that it is, is, it is that the impossibility of it all that inspires me to keep going. It's the recognition of the futility, the constant and persistent failure, the inability to articulate the depths of what you feel 
masculine side that keeps you going. Being trans, and especially being gender nonconforming, is going to be the space to reconsider what this world calls nothing, what this world calls failure. It's not that I failed to be a man or a woman, it's that these words and binaries were never meant for us. It's not that I failed to capture the intangible, it's that the intangible was never meant to be captured. One of the many perks of being gender nonconforming is that I get to spend a lot of my time thinking about questions of recognition and worth. My entire life I've been made to feel like a pariah, watching all the rituals of society always from a distance. And what I've come to realize is that actually everyone is constantly negotiating a desire for recognition. It seems that all of us are out here conflating recognition with meaning. As if someone else has the power to determine our worth, as if we mean nothing until we are seen. And one of the perks of never truly being seen as you are is you have to sit a moment with your invisibility, relish in the nothingness, and it is in the space of absence that I've come to appreciate alternative economies of worth, of meaning, of purpose. Selfies, and self-portraits more generally, have become instrumental to my art practice because I find that they're some of the only space in a visual and entertainment landscape for self-authorship, for self-birth. When taking a selfie, I can resist the meme. Selfies have been helpful to document my transition, not the before and after, pre and post transition photos that cis culture so desperately clings to to prove the legitimacy of their medical gender binary, but rather the continual and non-linear journey of trying to figure out who the hell I am more generally. Um, I wanted to close just by reading one or two of my poems about the subjects that I was bringing up today because the point I'm trying to make is that looking at a photo of me or watching me perform or watching me give a speech doesn't actually unsettle the fact that you only understand this as possible because I am in front of a microphone right now. What my poetry attempts to do is to create an imagination where you can actually not have to see my body to believe me, where I don't actually have to see, see videos and footage of me getting attacked for you to believe me. Every poem I write is an earnest and sincere commitment to a potential for people to actually understand that we should believe the fuck out of people who are hurting and not require them to look and adhere to values in order to be believed. So uh, I wrote this caption. Um, I took a really great selfie, I would show you if I could, but I, I, I don't want to. Um, and I wrote this caption. I took this selfie before leaving the house today. This is before a man right outside my door looked at me and said, what the fuck is that? His friends began to follow and record me until I couldn't take it, so I got into a taxi. In the car, I looked at the selfie of me, and I remember how powerful I felt when I took it. I remember how fun it was to get ready. I remember the delight of seeing my chest hair and my lipstick and my floral all together. Most of all, I remember feeling safe, feeling at peace. I've been thinking a lot recently about what selfies mean to me and why I'm so moved by them. Today I remember in the car that what selfies allow me to do is to remember who I am, what I am fighting for, and what the world I want to create looks like. A selfie is an earnest invitation to the world I am making for myself. WTF is the number one reaction I get leaving my house, and I feel like I'm finally coming up with an answer. What you see is someone just trying to figure it out. Someone desperately trying to remember what it means to prioritize my joy over your fear. What you see is someone trying my best to find meaning in a world that continually thinks that it knows what's best for me. What you see is someone who's equally confident and equally terrified, as someone who needs your help to get free. When the 17th person takes a photo of me without my consent, I begin to wonder if I have a body anymore. 
eye, a recognition that at some point, so many hands and eyes consume me that there was simply nothing left for myself. This is what happens when the private parts become public domain, and I say V instead of my because I looked in between my legs and saw a chat forum happening there. I tried to chime in but got blocked. Have? How naive it would be to believe I could own something that others hold on to so dearly. The other day, my doctor asked me to breathe and I tried, but I forgot how. There was simply no frame of reference. All of the images I remember of myself involve me doing everything but breathing. There is no animated GIF for that. A. There are hundreds of photos of me circulating in text threads and web forums across the world. Look at the souvenir I saw in New York. Look at this thing today I saw at the mall. Hashtag me. Hashtag same. Hashtag my BF. Hashtag WTF. Hashtag goals. What I've learned is that it is only socially permissible to identify with me online. There's a type of loneliness that comes from everyone staring at you but no one seeing you. Every time someone takes a photo of me, I want to give them a hug to remind them that I am real. But the moment a meme becomes a person, the screen cracks and there is violence. Body? I've come to the conclusion then that the only place I'm allowed to exist is a photograph. Exhibit A, a costume for a play. Exhibit B, how inspirational, read, I would never. A transgressive model breaking down gender norms. Exhibit C, an art installation. Exhibit D, a social media darling who inspires you to not only, to only like the photo, not stop the violence. Exhibit E, share this, LMAO. A monkey wears a dress and calls himself a woman. Exhibit me, exhibit me to prohibit me. Thank you. That was part two of three parts of Alok Vaidmanon's keynote address at the Listen Conference. If you're interested in any of Alok's poetry and other written works, you can go to returnthegaze.com. That is R-E-T-U-R-N-T-H-E-G-A-Y-Z-E.com. Or you could go to darkmatterpoetry.com. Additionally, if you want to learn more about Listen, go to their website, which is listenlistenlisten.org. A big thank you to the conference organisers for the use of their audio. And that's all we have time for today. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website, 3cr.org.au and that's the digit three, not spelt out in letters. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna, and I look forward to your company again next week.